Magalhaes to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner. Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it. Just a minute to play. A stoppage time. Here's Letizia. Hello and welcome to the Saints FC podcast. Um, Earlier this year, I spoke to uh, Saints, um, Feyenoord, Chelsea and Huddersfield uh, legend Ken Moncal. He played over 200 games for Southampton, uh, scoring more than 10 goals, including an absolute um, vital goal against Norwich City in that very famous 5-4 victory against them at Carrow Road. Um, we get on to all sorts of different things. He describes Matthew Letizia as like icing for a big cake. Uh, we talk about beating Manchester United, scoring the first goal at 40-1. to 1. And we even get on to topics such as Portsmouth Football Club, um, the kind of uh, friendly um, uh, words that the Pompey fans had for Ken Moncal. And then we even finish by getting a chance to talk about all the different uh, flavours of pancakes that he used to serve up from his pancake shop over in Holland. Uh, it's a really, really great interview. I really hope you enjoy it. Um, and as always, please do make sure you get um, onto the iTunes store, give us a rating, let us know what you think, or, or find us on Twitter, at Saints FC Podcast, and let us know what you think. Um, there's nothing in this interview about uh, what's happened with Claude Puel and Mauricio Pellegrino. And, you know, the interesting Southampton summer saga that uh, continues to roll on. Uh, But what I'm planning on doing is meeting up again with Tom, probably in early August or late July. And we'll round up all of the kind of summer happenings at Southampton and do a big uh, preview of the Saints season coming up. So um, enjoy this interview with Ken for now. And uh, I look forward to seeing you all in a few more weeks time. Bye bye. Right, so hello everybody. It's uh, John here from the Saints FC podcast and uh, with me on the line I have Saints legend uh, Ken Moncal. Hello Ken. Hi, good evening John. You Uh, okay? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I hope you're well. Yeah, not bad, not bad at all. You caught me in the right time. So just before I'm going to have something to eat. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, if we get in the way of dinner time, you must let me know and we'll, we'll, we'll finish I'll, I'll it. I'll let you know. <laughs> right. So I'll just go through a little bit of um, uh, kind of uh, for some of our younger listeners who may not be so familiar with you. I'll just give a very, very brief uh, overview of some of the kind of like big moves in your career. So um, you're from Suriname originally. And Correct. Yeah, then you moved to the Netherlands and you were raised there, spent most of your childhood there, and you yeah. ended up playing for Feyenoord for a few years when, when you were a youngster, yeah. before you That's transferred correct. to uh, Chelsea, and you yeah. had, I think, probably, what, three or four good seasons at Chelsea? Yeah, three and a half at Chelsea from 89 to 92. Yeah, and where you won player of the season which is obviously a great thing I actually want to get back to that later on and then um, after signing a five-year contract 
you signed for Southampton just just a few months after that for 750,000, which I think uh, raised a few eyebrows at the time. But then you, you really established yourself as um, you know, a stalwart of the the Saints side and, and that defence. Played over 200 games, scored 10 goals, including um, one fantastic memory, which I'm, I'm going to bring up later as well. And you <laughs> played there until 1999, where you, where you then moved on to Huddersfield. And if I'm right, is that kind of where you finished your professional career? No, because I was there for a year and a half under Steve Bruce. Yeah, uh, and then I went back. I went back to Chelsea in two thousand and two, two thousand and three. Yeah, under uh, Claudio Ranieri. I was thirty-eight at the time, and uh. I went down sort of to in a way sort of uh, uh, train with the reserves. But I end up uh, training with reserve of uh, training with the first team and playing with the reserves, and I nearly made my debut. Uh, the last game of that season, two thousand and three, two thousand and four, I think. Uh, against uh, Aston Villa, but on the Friday I got a uh, hamstring oh, injury. Nice. So, so, so young Robert Huth made his debut as a 17-year-old. Oh wow! So, otherwise I would have made the second uh, debut on, at the, as a 30-year-old, but uh, Robert Huth took his chance, and uh, the rest is history. All right, great. So, um, Ken, I, I suppose um, our listeners are mostly interested in uh, your Saints career. So. Can we start off with your transfer to Southampton and let us know, you know, what happened there? How did it happen? How did you end up moving when it looked like you were going to be with Chelsea for the long term? Yes, because as you said, only a couple of months before that I signed a five-year deal with the Blues. And then uh, a couple of months later, I get a call from the, if I'm correct, from the then manager saying that, and I think it was Ian Borderfield, to say that I accepted an offer from Southampton. And I went, what? I was very shocked because this was about 10 o'clock in the evening. And I went, what? I just, I just signed a five-year deal with, with the Blues. He said, yeah, but we, often, we, we got a, a, a great deal. So you're free to talk to, to the club if you want to. So the first thing I did after that conversation was calling Kerry Dixon at the time. And he said, Ken, no, it's true. I heard it as well. I said, so what, is, what should I do? He said, it's up to you. What you want to do? He said, you signed the five-year deal. So if you, want to say, if you want to go and talk to them, you feel free or you stay where you are. And I sort of took it very personal because as I just, as you said, I just signed a five-year deal and I was sort of one of the youngsters uh, that was uh, sort of building his way and getting established in that team. So I thought, hold on, you know what, stuff that, I'm going to speak to uh, to, uh, to Southampton. And that's what I did the following morning. I spoke to Ian Brentford and we met, picked me up and took me down to uh, to the Odell. Uh, within, like I said, I think an hour and a half, two hours, I signed a deal. I'm in front of the, the cameras. And I remember saying it on the date of today. Uh, yes, uh, Cameron Cow signed for for the, for the Saints. Quite a shock uh, because you signed the long-term deal at Chelsea not that long ago, and now you're here in a Saints shirt. I said, yes, exactly. I'm wearing a Saints shirt, but I still feel as, as a Chelsea player. I don't know what's going on. So, of course, the interview there at the time went, "What the hell's going on here?" <laughs> and I thought I made the, the worst decision ever, you know. But it turned out to be one of the best. Okay, brilliant. So, um, you you worked under a few Saints managers, didn't you? I mean, it was a time when there was quite a lot of change. There's, there's still quite oh, a lot of change at Southampton, but well, it was it was unbelievable, John? Because Southampton used to be one of the most stable teams in the league. Never sort of changed too many things or managers or too many players. And then for for seven or eight seasons there, every season we had another manager. We had 
slot at, at the bell. And it was unheard of. Yeah. And um, I wonder. If, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you can uh, tell me kind of what it felt like when you when you made your debut for Southampton, and maybe 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 talk us through that and what you're feeling and, and what you remember of the day. And it was 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 so exciting because, like I said, I just wanted to sort of to prove that I was a, a very good and promising player, and I wanted to show that uh, I was a Premier League uh, player. So and to of course get the, the chance to play at the Saint, even though people said it was a smaller club, but we had a fantastic uh, uh, team, great atmosphere, and you could tell uh, all the boys worked for each other. We had sort of a, a big cake with the icing of Matt Letizia, you know, and that's how it was uh, over that over that whole period at the Saint. Now my debut, uh, just just like I knew straight away that uh, that uh, I would stay there for a long time, you know. So I really enjoyed my spell and the fact. Uh, I did for the seven and a half seasons I played there, so it was lovely. All right, brilliant. Um, I think uh, one of the most memorable games I have of the time uh, that you were playing at Southampton um, was a pretty infamous game when we played against Manchester United. And uh, <laughs> yeah. we started off pretty well, and I think we were winning 3-0 at half time. And then I wonder if you can pick up the story from here and tell me what what happened next and what you remember of the day. No, it was one of those, one of those those games I remember because there was a special atmosphere uh, before I remember actually uh, at the pre-match meal that we had in the hotel just around the corner from the Dell. Uh, I did an, uh, an an article with one of the new local newspapers a few months prior or a few weeks prior, and I remember because Dave Merrington was in charge, wasn't he? Is that correct? Yeah. 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 And he told us at the time, don't speak to the press, keep it quiet. We just want to make sure that we don't give them any excuse or reason to have really have a go at us, i.e. the press or Man United for that uh, matter. And I remember doing a piece and I thought, oh, that piece won't come out until we, after we've played. Of course, I turn up on the Saturday morning at the hotel where we all have a pretty much lunch. I see all the boys looking at me and say, Ken, have you read the papers? Read the papers? No, of course, I never read the papers. Definitely on Saturday. And said, have a look at this. And there was a headline. Uh, Man United's got to spill blood to beat the Saints. I think I before the start of the game. So, of course, the manager came and said, Ken, I told everyone not to speak to the press. What do you do? You go and speak. I said, listen, Dave, this was done weeks ago. I never knew that they would, would have used it. You know, I forgot anyway. And he said, flipping hell, we're going to be in for a, a hell of a game today. I said, listen, don't worry. We're going to have a good go anyway. And you could tell by the players and everyone on that day, John, there was something going on. I don't know what it was. Yeah. And I'm not a gambler at all, but loads of people, I, was, I think I remember this, was, I was 40-1 to 1 to score the first goal. And loads of the people at the time that came to watch the game said, Ken, uh, we put quite a few bets on you to score the first goal. And I was going, what, what are on about these guys, you know? And of course what happened, Matlatisha takes the corner, first goal, boom. One nil, two nil, three nil, and we could not believe it. You know, we could not believe it, the the atmosphere. And then, of course, three nil up, we go in half time. Uh, Man United was playing, of course, in their famous grey shirts, and they come out with only blue and white shirts. And well, what's going on here? And then, the, the, of course, the rumor went that like they couldn't see each other uh, of the grey shirt. Not that Saints played them off the park the first half, of course, but that's the excuse that they used. And we, we just went on to, to beat them uh, handsomely and we played fantastic as a team, you know. But of course, 
that went down in history as uh, the famous grey shirt, you know. But we remember as a team, team that we played one of the best uh, games that season. It's and it was fantastic beating the Reds. Yeah, I suppose you kind of made up for your uh, your blunder in the press by getting that early goal. Did you ever look around <laughs> to the manager and be like, "It's all, it's all no, right no. now"? <laughs> no, I would tell I would tell you this. I jumped up and I was screaming because I knew a couple of my friends that had a bet on me. They won money, you see. Oh yeah. So I was thinking, I made I made people happy. Yeah. <laughs> and, I for, and I forgot all about, uh, of course. Uh, the, the piece in the paper in the morning, you know, but that's all that's part and parcel of the game, you know, yeah. and that's why I think we as a team, we rallied together, uh, John, and that's why we did well, because every season, uh, people used to write us off, because I remember, uh, uh, what's his name, the ex-Switch um, striker that was on the radio for the BBC, oh, what's um, his name, yeah. Brazil, Alan, Bra- Alan Brazil, Alan Brazil, yeah. Yeah, I remember one season he slayed it. And it could have been that season that, that we stayed up when we beat Norwich, that he slayed it up before the season even started. He said, oh, this year is definitely going down. I've used that as, uh, as our incentive to prove him wrong, you know, and everyone else. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I remember kind of reading the papers and the football magazines at the time, and, and every season people were like, oh, well, this season Southampton can't can't survive again. Surely they're going to go down this time. But... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, time no, after but, time, we were okay. Yeah, and that's the indication. And then, like I said, uh, uh, the, the, the spirit that we had, that a lot of people talk about all these cliches, but it was so true, though. Everyone that came there, and we had an identity, we believed in ourselves, and we really, really would go to the length of the earth to, uh, to work for each other, you know? Yeah. And we had some characters in the team, because not everyone got on with each other, but as a team, we pulled together in the same direction, and that's what it's all about, you know? Mm. And uh, I, I want to pick up on that spirit. Um, it's something that other players from the same era um, that you were playing in have, have mentioned as well. And I wonder if you can take me through um, that season when things were looking fairly bleak. I think we were, I think we were four points away from safety, and we had a vital mm-hmm. game against uh, Norwich City at Carrow Road which I think has probably gone down as one of the, the, the best Saints games ever, um, certainly in terms of goals and excitement and action. Can you tell me what you remember oh. about that day? If you're a new to supporter, definitely. Not if you're a Norwich or a Saints supporter. Because, <laughs> or, or, or a manager, because it was absolutely one of those games you didn't know. And it's one of those games that you knew there's plenty of goals, uh, we were giving stuff away. They were making mistakes. They bounced back. We bounced back. And of course, and then it's only three all. And you think, how we needed to win the game, you know, to, to yeah. make sure. And then I remember Matt Leticia taking the, the, the corner, and I'm thinking, listen, we got to, we got to do something. And shall I go near post? Shall I go far post? And I just ran. And Matt Leticia, the, 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 the player that he was, he put the ball right near the near post. Boom on my head. Boom, the goal went in. And the like I said, the rest was history. It's crazy. It was one of those games, John. You know, when you yeah. when you look back, you could not make it up because, like I said, uh, the worst defense probably on the day. But then, of course, we scored goals to come back, you know, from nowhere. And luckily, because I looked at that, looked at it back a few years ago, and it definitely wasn't one of my better games. But of course, you you get remembered for scoring the winner, you know. But as a team again, and you say about the spirit that exactly uh, sort of uh, clearly sort of showed what we as a, as a team and as a squad were made of, you know. 
and that yeah. spirit, that belief that we have in each other. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I'm just going to take people through through that. So starts off nil nil until the 37th minute when Norwich City go one nil up. Then a yeah. few minutes later, Norwich City score an own goal, so it's one one. Then yeah. just after yeah. half time, Jeremy Goss gets one. It's two one to Norwich. Then Chris Sutton gets another one, three one to Norwich. And, and at this point, Saints' season's looking pretty bleak. It's the chances of survival are pretty bleak. We get yeah. one back with Matthew Letizia, of course. Who else? Yeah. Then, oh, now, you know what? I can't remember which one was was first. Was it the Norwich City fourth goal with Chris Sutton getting a second or the Matthew Letizia pen, oh. penalty? I can't remember. Do we bring it back to 3-3 and then it go 4-3? I, I, I think that we brought it back to 3-3-3-0 and then they went 4-3. That's what I think, yeah. yeah immediately. Yeah. And then Matthew Letizia the equalises in the yeah, 72nd four. minute. And then it gets to the 90th minute, 91st minute, 92nd yeah. minute, and then that corner that you've just told us about yeah. and getting that, that goal. And I, What did it feel like after that? At that point, once you've kind of scored that winning goal, is that the point where you think, right, we're actually going to get out of this mess? Or, or, this mess? or did you always believe that you would get out of it in the end? We always did, and that's the whole thing, John. And it's only when you actually sport to, to speak to people uh, that are in sport, and that could be any sport, that a certain belief that you have that goes beyond your training and application and everything, that sort of prevents you into a different atmosphere. And we had that. We had that belief as a team that we would survive uh, the job, whatever it takes, whatever it took. And on uh, you know that season, and every game we approached that. With, this, with the same sort of intensity, the same belief, the same sort of uh, arrogance or uh, camaraderie or spirit or whatever you want to call it, but we had it. Whatever it uh, was, we had it as a team. And that sort of sort through season after season. And that's just the special thing when I look back and in fond memory, and that's what, 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 what I remember most, that all the boys, and as I said before, we had loads of strong, strong characters through the seasons in, the, in, in, our, in our squad, but we all pulled together when it came to it. Okay, and then um, so another thing that that I want to pick up on, and um, maybe it's more special for the fans than it is for you as a player, but perhaps you can tell us. When you're a Saints fan, there is nothing that you enjoy more than a victory against Portsmouth Football Club. <laughs> yes, that's that's true, that's true, and I, and I have to tell you a story before we go into. So you mentioned earlier in the in the conversation that I signed for Huddersfield. Yeah. The first time I was back down on the south coast was against Portsmouth, Portsmouth versus Huddersfield. So you can well imagine yeah. the reception that I got. And Alan Ball was the manager of Portsmouth. So I won't repeat what the, what the Portsmouth supporters were singing in the stand, of course, when I did my warm-up and played the game. We beat uh, Portsmouth 1-0. I remember after the game, uh, I got asked by Sky to, uh, to speak because uh, being back as a uh, as a scummer, as they called me, yeah. uh, on the south, down the south coast. They said, well, Ken, what was it like to, to come back to play against Portsmouth? I said, uh, you, could, you could tell by the Portsmouth support that they, they gave me a warm welcome because they sang from the start until the end <laughs> my name. So <laughs> I won't repeat what they sang, but that encouraged me to play better. And as you can tell, I got a smile on my face because we beat them 1-0, you know, so I have to thank them for giving me that, uh, that encouragement to, to do well this afternoon, of course. We burst out a lot, and then afterwards I saw Alan Ball, the manager of Portsmouth at the time. That was also our manager at that Saints, great manager, and uh, and I had a really good relationship with him. 
I gave him a big hug and we laughed it off, you know. So, but uh, yes, coming back the, between the rivalry between uh, the Saints and, uh, and and Portsmouth, of course, as a foreign player, uh, when people turned up, they didn't realize. Uh, and we explained this as uh, as, as Saints players have been there for a long time, what it actually meant. You know, I said we'd rather relegate them, get beaten by them, and they could not understand until they played in the first uh, sort of uh, derby, and then they knew. Yeah, and it's special, special. Yeah. yeah, and that's the beauty of playing in this country. And uh, like I said, uh, for me, to play for the for the for the Saints against uh, Pompey. And um, the the game which I can remember you playing against them in was a. Uh... A three-nil win in the FA Cup um, mm-hmm. at the Dell. Do you remember anything about the day? Not, not that much. That's the other thing, in a way, John, is that when you speak to the supporters, the real supporters, they would know every single ball you kicked, how that you had the tackle that you made. It's fascinating. It still fascinates me now, you know. Yeah. Because we we go from game to game, the the, the, the real fans they will remember everything, you know, everything, and it's, it's beautiful. So you tell me. Oh, I wasn't at that one, but but I can I can know exactly what you're talking about. I remember kind of um, being behind the goal when Peter Crouch was lining up for a penalty against Portsmouth and just trying to kind of suck the ball into the net, you know, inhaling as much as I could, you know, anything I could do to try and get the air to move towards it. And um, I, I remember a jinking run from Marion Pahas as well, you know, like it's yesterday. It's, it's imprinted on my brain. Um, you know, really, really special games. But yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't wasn't there. At that particular game mm. at the Dell. Um, actually, the, I was thinking about this. So I, I started going to the games back in the mid '90s when you were playing, and this is probably rather unfortunate for you. But the first two games I saw you play in, uh, you conceded a total of eight goals. Eight goals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but did we beat them though? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's all right. You, you, you survived. You survived from relegation, which was all you know. All we, we had did, for yeah, in did. those days. And, and um, yeah. the, the first game I actually saw was uh, Liverpool versus Southampton at Anfield, where uh, Robbie Fowler got a hat trick. Ian Rush scored a goal, and Matthew Letizia scored two kind of typical Letiz goals. And and um, you know that was the first Premier League game I saw, and it was just such a wonder to watch it. You know, big stadium, fantastic atmosphere, and just brilliant play, yeah. football. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I sort of pick up on, on another thing uh, uh, with your Southampton career. So, I've always kind of heard about you that, that you're pretty straightforward. You've got that kind of um, uh, that that bluntness that I think you know. I've got a couple of Dutch friends, and they, they certainly say it how it is. And um, I read about a rather interesting clash that you had with Graham Souness uh, in the in the changing room. Do you do you remember anything about your times, or, or, or maybe not on the clash? Not, not on the clash, because like I said, don't forget, like I said, Graham Souness was an unbelievable uh, uh, player. Yeah, and like I said, uh, and at the time when he came to Southampton as a manager, his record wasn't that great, you know. So, and of course, like all these new men come, they want to bring their own sort of stamp, and idea, and culture, and identity to to the team. That's understandable. We've been there. We just signed it, I think, a two and a half year, three year extension. And I remember, I think they passed him quite a few big characters in the in the, in the team. And he asked my opinion what what we thought, the way we should be playing. And I said uh, we're a very straightforward team. 
442, uh, like uh, a big cake with nice icing on the cake, and that's my Latissier. And he went, thank you very much. And I think I only played six games that season. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. So and we had quite a few uh, runnings that uh, that year, understandably, because like I said, being an older pro, of course, and we didn't want to be treated like a 18 or 19 year old uh, kid. You know, we've been yeah. around the block a few times. So, and I think I wasn't the only one he had runnings with there were a few other players and I said we had uh, quite a few strong personalities and characters in the team you know but it's one of those and then in that uh, from that generation people sorted things out on the training ground or in the dressing room it's all part and parcel of that uh, of that era you know yeah and uh, and I think uh, the game was then played by men as well you know so yeah so uh, I look back at that a good experience you know it's all yeah. of it because since then I've seen I've seen Graham uh, in one of the restaurants in London and a friend of mine doing his work for Sky TV so we said hello we had a quick drink and a quick chat you know yeah. because that, that's what happened in football yeah it's, it's, it's nice to hear that that people are kind of still happy to chat I remember um, listening to Matthew Letizia saying about how he had his big falling out with Glenn Hoddle but you know they're, they're still able to kind of speak on amicable terms this day even if perhaps he's not necessarily his most favourite person Um well, you, you do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You do. Yeah. So, um, I, I wonder if, um, from your time at Southampton, if there are any kind of particular characters, whether it's a, um, a teammate or a manager, that you really felt kind of uh, affected your career in kind of like a really positive way, or, or maybe do you feel like you've, you've perhaps had a different career if you hadn't kind of came across that player or played with that person or, or, or played for that person? I don't know. There's loads, there's loads of characters there. As, as, as I said before, you had people like Ian Dow, you had Matt Letizia, Francis Benali, you know. Uh, you had loads of uh, characters, Jimmy Gilton in the, in the team, you know. If you think about it, Carlton Palmer, another one. If you think about all the players that you played with, uh, <laughs> and you look back on the career and you forget, actually, a few of them played, they were internationals yeah. at that time, you know, and they were strong-headed uh, personalities. So you can well imagine in the dressing room because it straight away makes me think with Ian Down where I just signed for the Saints and I walked into the dressing room and the, the manager introduced, and the secretary introduced me to the team and I was shaking everyone's hand and I remember shaking Ian Dowie's hand and he sort of smiled at me because we had quite a few battles while he was playing for Lute and I was playing for Chelsea at the time and then I was just about was trying to walk out of the dressing room and I had one of those stars Ken Hutch jumpers on and I remember or cardigan and I remember Ian Dowie going he said uh, Ken uh, said, uh, great play, great you signed you. said, uh, but we're not so sure about that party of yours. And of course, the whole squad burst out in And that only sort of, it sort of, uh, sort of provides the, the, uh, the, the, the atmosphere and the character in the team, you know? So, yeah. And like I said, and I'm still good friends with Ian Dowie as well, you know? So, and Dave Pleasant. All right, brilliant. And are they, do you, do you keep in contact with any of your old teammates? Uh, yeah, because I've course, spent the Benali, friends Benali, only seen a few months ago on this uh, unbelievable epic uh, uh, journey, cycling, running, you know, yeah, uh, across all the the, the the sort of league teams. It's unbelievable. So I saw him at at Leeds and at uh, at Huddersfield a few months ago, and that that, that again epitomizes the, the characters we had in the, in the side. And you are sort of the question again: uh, who are the people sort of that inspire you? You've got people that have been at the club for a long time. Metlitis. Francis Benali, Jason Dodd was there for a long time. And then another person, and that might, this one might be a controversial one, is Ian Brentford, because he signed me. And yeah. he had fantastic ideas. And he was the one that was actually brave enough to drop Matt Letizia when he wasn't informed. 
And of course, and the whole South Coast was in uproar. And they, I, remember, I don't know if you remember that, that they were threatening him and his family to kidnap his family. They were protest on the car park after the games. Yeah. Do you remember that period? Yeah, yeah, I can I can remember the period. I, I think you know some of the actions there from the the fans probably go into the deplorable uh, section. Oh, it was, it was absolutely outrageous. Yeah. But he was right though, and even Matt Letitia admitted it because when he came back against that Newcastle game that was uh, live televised on Sky, remember? Yeah. When he scored the hat trick, and people were, like, you see, how can you leave the best player out? And and we all said, but that's the reason he's doing well because he's fitter, sharper, hungrier. Yeah. <laughs> And the manager, and the manager was right, you know. Yeah. And he had loads of uh, loads of great ideas regarding tactical and the way we should perform and play, you know. But uh, unfortunately enough, uh, in football, you don't always get the chance to exhibit uh, your 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 talent yeah. or your managerial skills. Okay, Ken. So I now actually kind of quite like to take a, a few steps back. So I think. Um, uh, your career at Chelsea is also notable uh, for a couple of things. Uh, and one of the things which really um, stood out for me is that uh, you were nominated and won uh, Player of the Season. Was it Fans Player of the Season whilst you are at Chelsea? Yeah. And you were the is, first yeah. first black player to do so. Now, I have a memory of going to um, Stamford Bridge when I was probably, I don't know, about 10 or 11 years old. And, and I've, I found it you know, pretty shocking. I, I've been to quite a few games by that point. Used to Saints. Um, I've been to Anfield. Been to quite a few other stadiums. Used to go and watch um, Bristol Rovers and Bath City. Looks like I grew up in the West Country. And I remember the Chelsea fans were were probably the scariest group of human beings I'd seen at, at, up to that point in my life. And um, I wonder, kind of, what what you felt like when you were there, and if if any of that kind of, I suppose inherent racism or bigoted views kind of ever bubbled out in a in a nasty way or, or how you dealt with that yeah well you you say it already when when you say oh your trophy the player of the year you want the black the first black player of the year that in itself that headline that says enough doesn't it the first black player of the year if you think i'm a player yeah. regardless of my color race or background i'm a player and i'm the player of the year so it should be it sounds like i've got a separate award you know yeah. it's not the, the the real award. So that in itself was, was very strange. But of course, Chelsea didn't have a good reputation at that time. We're talking mid-80s, late-80s. And even the players like Paul Canafil and a few other uh, black players that were there were really, really sort of racially abused by the young fans. And I was pre-warned before I actually signed for Chelsea. He said, what are you doing as a black foreign player to go and sign for a club like that, you know? I said, listen, at the end of the day, I'm going there because I've been asked and it's an honour to do an privilege to actually go and play in the UK, you know, Yeah. at the time. So that's what I did. And the funny thing is, I haven't had any nasty experience with the Chelsea supporters. And of course, as you said, that same season, I got voted by the same supporters that only two seasons prior uh, were shouting racial abuse at other black players. And I got voted their black player of the year. So it was very surreal, you know, to yeah. also then collect this, uh, this trophy around the corner in a pub that was uh, renowned for the racist uh, sort of support. Uh, to actually get this trophy, you know, given by them. Yeah. So, and then on the on the back of that, and that is sort of when you when I look back now, it's only when you when you stop playing when you look back. It was sort of one of those uh, big moments because since after after that moment, lots of other uh, black players and foreign players turned up at uh, Chelsea, you know, and uh, Chelsea is one of the sort of uh, forerunners now with loads of stuff because they were one of the first 
bringing actually foreign plays across yeah. right at that time. So, yeah. and you could see the whole attitude and changing. And also now, Chelsea's very uh, proactive in their community uh, regarding uh, anti-racism campaigns, you know. So, I would kick it out and show racism the red card. So, they're very proactive. Yeah. And I think and it's... I think probably... I mean, I, I don't want to kind of put words in your mouth or anything, but I think perhaps... Um, for some kind of like racists and bigots, they've they've never actually experienced, you know, they've never had a black friend or a black colleague or, you know, known someone foreign. And, and perhaps, you know, when you cross the threshold into that pub and, and those fans got to meet you, perhaps you, you're able to change the views of people. And I think it's quite important. Um, and probably why it's highlighted even today is, is quite a, I don't know, a, a, an important moment in Chelsea's football and the, and the history of black players within the Premier League. Yeah, and but and, and as and as you said, and it, it's all to do with because I think quite often when people are behaving in, in a way like that, it comes from an, uh, an ignorance, yeah. uh, uneducated uh, point of view, and once you sort of uh, make people aware, and also fear. Don't forget, fear does quite a bit with people as well. You see, yeah. the unknown. So, yeah. and I think of course, and things moved on. Dramatically massive, massive, massive strides we've made, and we still need to do it because there's still lots of people that are not educated enough uh, and need to be re-educated. And the thing that we now do with show race and direct art by going to all the clubs and schools and actually educating the kids that that actually then go back home to re-educate their parents, you know, and you see what kind of difference it makes and the impact it has, you know. Yeah. 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 I don't so, know. Well, um, yeah, congratulations for, for winning that award and, um, you know, the, going down in history for, for a mu- couple of different reasons. They're being a fantastic player on one half and then, you know, maybe changing the, the tide at, at Chelsea as well. Um, yeah, thank you. I, I suppose, um, kind of considering uh, your background from, you know, born, born in Suriname, there's another kind of Dutch Saints centre-back with... Uh, uh, Suriname in, within his heritage, um, a man that we absolutely love down at St Mary's at the moment, Virgil van Dijk. Yeah. What, what do you make of him? Proper player, and I think his route to the UK or to the, the to, 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 uh, to the British Isles was fantastic because he went to Celtic first to actually come and adjust and to see what it's like to play on these shores. Being there for a couple of seasons, then making his move to Southampton. Uh, learning the trade, and uh, and he's a fantastic player. And the thing is, because people say the art of defending, we're losing a little bit, you know, because it's not the sort of the the, the game that it used to be. But Virgil van Dijk is a proper defender, and I think hence the fact he he, he catches the attention of loads of people that recognise he's a, a proper player, proper defender. And of course, uh, with his background as well from Suriname, being brought up in Holland, so there's lots of uh, things that we have there in, in common. But he's, he's he's a great player and a great character. Well, I notice, yeah. and when I look uh, and watch many games, uh, what's lacking? These guys now, six foot three, six foot four, unbelievable athletes, superb. The, the diet, the nutrition, everything is top notch. But one thing that we all say, especially the guys from my generation, that the characters and the leadership and the personality lacks. But he has. But coming back to Virgil van Dijk, he has that. You see, he's got character and personality and leadership, and that's why I think he stands out. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've been absolutely blown away by his performances uh, since he's been at Southampton. And one which really stands out is he seemed to kind of single-handedly drag us 
um, over the line and beat Inter Milan when we hosted them at St Mary's earlier in this season. And it's yeah. really amazing to see uh, a centre-back basically do that. He, he seems to have everything. He, I think, you know, if you played him in midfield, he'd be one of the best midfielders. If you played him up front, I think he'd be a pretty good striker as well. Um, exactly. But that's, where you, but that's where you go. But he's, and that's to do with his character. Of course, he's yeah. a good football player, but he's his character and his personality and the leadership uh, qualities that he has. You see, that's why he stands out. And as you said, single-handed like Matt Letitia and all those, there's quite a few other players that had the same sort of qualities. And that's what people recognize, you see? Yeah. And it's one of them. And the thing is, like Matt, again, he's very approachable, very down-to-earth, very nice guy, you know? And that makes him even more special, especially in the in the, in the current sort of uh, uh, presence of football players. Yeah, I, I think... Um... I kind of wonder if, if I'm if I'm still doing this podcast in ten years' time. You know how approachable will the current crop of players be in comparison to say the players that um, I've met and, and spoken to from your era before and, and in around in and around that time. Um, Ken, after you finished playing football, um, you took quite an interesting career turn. I, I wonder if you could tell us about something that a couple of friends have been nagging me to ask you about. So, so, so before you ask that question. Yeah. What's your flavour? <laughs> What's my flavour? <laughs> is that what you're referring to? <laughs> it, it is absolutely. Can, can you tell us how, how that, what, what we're talking about, and how it ended up happening? Well, as, as I said before, because I got encouraged by quite a few supporters that don't always support the Saints, but for some reason singled me out, and I took it as a compliment. But of course, the wording wasn't wasn't always as pleasant as as you would like it to be. But I took some of them on it, and I said, you know what? I will see if I can toss those pancakes, you know, uh, to a certain height. <laughs> and that was the, the encouragement that I gave. But uh, sort of all the, the joking aside, uh, I've always fascinated because I'm from a catering background, you see. My mum and dad were from, um, I had a bar bistro when I was young. My mum uh, worked in a, in a catering place for, 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 for youngs. So when I had the chance to actually get involved in purchasing the, the, the business that I used to go as a kid, as a 14-year-old, yeah. Uh, the temptation was too big not to uh, to have a go at it, and that's what we did. And we're talking somewhere in 2007, 2008, when I bought a pancake house in Holland that yeah. I run with my mum and sister and uh, and some other uh, family members. And, and I was really excited because the funny thing, when people ask me what was the closest you got to actually being on the pressure of, uh, you know, since you stopped playing, and I've done lots of different things, and I said, was actually working in a pancake house because we had six burners, yeah. two chefs, and then, of course, uh, between 12 and 2, when you had to have 120 or 30 covers, need to be fed within an hour, the pressure was on, you know, yeah. to get these pancakes out. <laughs> so, no, but it was fantastic, fantastic. And when you talk about, of course, teamwork, uh, because we had quite a few uh, staff working there, but the best time was when there was only six of us looking after 120, 130 people because it was like an old machine and that brought me back uh, to playing, you know, for the, for the Saints and, 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 and Chelsea. Yeah, that team spirit, and, that and adrenaline having, rush. Yep, and having each other's back, you know? Yeah. And uh, is, yeah. Is, is, is the Pancake House still open if, if we have... Uh, no, 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 no. We, 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 John, we couldn't, we couldn't financially, we couldn't sustain it. You know, so we're talking 2008, 2009 with all the recessions. There were two or three restaurants uh, went down before we did. Yeah. And we had to sort of uh, return everything back because we couldn't sustain it. It was a shame, though, because I really enjoyed it. And the funny thing is, as, as I asked you in the beginning, what your flavor was, we had 99 different flavors. 
and the only one we didn't have was the English one, was lemon sugar and sugar. lemon. Yeah. And lemon, <laughs> because I remember a couple of English people came across because they couldn't believe that an ex-professional uh, player was actually in the kitchen, and we had an open kitchen because they, they could see me. Yeah. So we had lots of people coming actually seeing uh, the old centre half of the Saints and and, uh, and Chelsea uh, flipping some pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, good, was, was good fun. It was good fun, you know. Brilliant. And and what are you what are you doing now, Ken? Uh, so I'm part of a um, of a group a committee uh, of 44 uh, men, ex players, lawyers, uh, owners, and. Uh, the chairmen of football clubs that are part of the FA judicial panel. So, and it is quite interesting to see uh, how the law and the sort of the protocol works on that uh, on that side of uh, of the game. So that's that's that, that's uh, one of the bits and pieces that I do, and also uh, I'm one of uh, the eight specially trained uh, equality and diversity officers for the PFA. So we go to all the 92 clubs in the league and we talk about the first time equality within the game and it's interesting because when you talk about this generation of course and I like to think I was one of the good guys but when the union rep used to come in talking about insurance and pensions after 20 minutes I would fall asleep you know you would not asleep oh, what he's on about what he's talking about you know yeah. so you can imagine these guys now 18, 19 with lots of different portfolios football would be one of them when we yeah. played football was the only one but these guys now have got the image right they got the property portfolio, whatever it is, you know. So they got so many other things. And as you said, uh, what would it be like in 10 years' time, these guys, if would it still be the same, would they still be in football? And I think that's why it's important for the clubs and, of course, the, the, the governing bodies to make sure that they utilize the skills. Because that's what I've noticed since I stopped, that there's so many of my sort of generation and even the guys uh, after that and, and then and before that, have so many good skills that the clubs should use, you know, as ambassadors yeah. and actually as identity and uh, sort of uh, cultures within clubs, you know. Because if you if you would sign for the Saints and you got Matt Letizia, Jason Dodd, uh, Francis Binali, being part of the whole setup, uh, who would you sign for, you know? Of course you would sign for the Saints if you see Matt Letizia and Francis Binali in front of you as a kid, you know? Yeah. And then you have to convince people. And that's why I think that's... Uh, Loads of clubs should sort of take notice of that, that actually they should utilize the skills and the contribution of these uh, guys and girls, of course, now, because the girls are knocking on the door as well, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, th- and then thirdly, sorry to, to cut you short, what I do is also I work for this uh, company called Zico Sport. It's a Dutch company. They bought the rights for the uh, Premier League Championship or Champions League, and they have won. And I'm one of five or six guys uh, that actually uh, helps with the, the the interviews before and after the games on touchline. So and they broadcast the the live games from the UK to uh, to Holland. So that's what I'm involved with, and it's quite interesting, John, because as I said, so the FA, the very sort of official stuff, yeah. and then you get the PFA, of course, really involved with the players regarding the the law within the game, and then of course doing the stuff with. Uh, which is Ego Sports actually being on the touchline. So it's quite involved within the game on different levels. And then the other thing, of course, that I'm very passionate about is uh, working for a show racing record. And we just uh, touched upon it, the, the sort of the anti-racism campaign. I'm very passionate and, uh, and an advocate uh, in that corner. So anytime when I get a chance and opportunity to actually help and support the course, that's what I do. You know? Brilliant. All right. Well, well, thank you very much, Ken. Um, I've already taken up much more of your time than I asked you for, so I wonder if we should uh, we should draw it to a close, and I'll let you get on and, and have your dinner. 
Yes, <laughs> because I've got some people staring at me at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, is it pancakes on the menu tonight? In a good way. No, we've got. I think we've got some jacket potato and we've got the lucky quiche. Yeah. So, yeah. The other. So the other half is looking at me, and we've got uh, a lovely rescue dog, Spitty. Oh. having a go at me as well. <laughs> my, my apologies to your family, Ken. Thank no you very, worries. very much no for worries, speaking man. to us. It was an absolute pleasure. Same here, John. Stay in touch, yeah? Speak yeah, to you soon. Cheerio. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.